well, welcome Phil and Louise to another one of our podcasts. Um, in our last podcast, we spoke a lot about some of the themes of the learning from 2021. And yet, as we speak, enormous changes and um, actual war is happening in Europe for the first time in a long time. And that forms a backdrop, I think, to one of our themes from last time, which is very rapid, chaotic change in our environment, unmeasurable, uh, unpredictable. Um, and it might be useful to reflect on those times that we are in. How does that impact what a sales leader should be doing today uh, in their world in order to be able to take maximum advantage minimize the risks, help achieve their business goals in a time of extraordinary and probably unprecedented change. Yeah, it's, um, it's you know, staggering to watch what's actually happening um, so quickly at the moment in Ukraine and, uh, and in Russia. And I think that sort of right now, this is probably where so many of us are, are sort of trying to... Um, make sense of what's happening and i i i think that's that's um you know it's, it's it's really difficult um even people that i know who are very senior in the army could not believe that putin was actually going you know with all the intelligence they had with all the information they had you know the moment that troops started getting galvanized on that east side of uh, of ukraine couldn't couldn't believe it and and yet here we are now was it seven days into the seven days into the um into the war um with things unfurling at such a quick rate and i i think it's yeah it's really interesting you know what what does it say about our world right now observing what we're observing right now. I, th I, th I think it, that that would be a good place for us to start. You know, I'm sure we've, we're, you know, everyone's trying to make sense of it. I mean, I don't know. What's going on in your household, Louise, <laughs> at the moment with all these kind of discussions? How how are you making sense? So I'm, I'm listening to the radio and the news so much more. I mean, I always do in the mornings. And I think that what comes through um, for me is the, the stories of the, the people in, in Ukraine and just, you know, how resilient they are, just how determined, how purposeful they are. And you are in awe, absolute awe. Um, and then just, you know, what is the rest of the world doing around that? And, you know, um, obviously sports, all this, the, the kind of sports organizations that have said that they are going to not compete or that Russia can't compete anymore in these, you know, global competitions. Um, Paralympics this morning coming through. I'm pleased um, that they have changed their minds as they did, you know, first thing this morning. But there's just this kind of like, how can we, how can we try and help Ukraine um, feel that there is this swell of support for them, you know, and 
you know, just reaching out personally, what do you do? You reach out to those that you know have family there who are impacted and you try and do the little things that you can that, you know, it's the, the COVID, what can you, what can you influence and what's out of your control? And obviously it's the tiny thing we can do, but we can try and help those that we know are impacted more and just let them know that we're thinking of them and supporting them. But yeah, it's just, um, every morning it's just like yeah i almost dread putting the radio on i almost you know to, to think what, what's the news going to be um but you do you do what you can to help those that you can you try and do the little things you can and i'm just in awe of their resilience it shows what's within people and also how they're working together as in in their small communities you know it, it, what's possible to help themselves help feel that they're in a little bit of control when you know obviously but it's different today isn't it the the number of troops now it's so different i feel it's a different feeling and that's what that's what came through very different today and i, I wonder if there is a metaphor i wonder if there's a metaphor that's arising here which is at the highest level we're seeing um a set of global values that people are um, espousing across pretty much the whole OECD and beyond on what is decent, what is right. And those values in turn are driving behaviors of governments to impose unprecedented sanctions, um, of companies to make unprecedented divestment decisions or to stop doing business with a particular nation with the people in the Ukraine showing extraordinary resilience and doing what they can, with people in this country doing whatever acts they can, you know, giving to um, charities, etc. So there's a very broad range I've covered there, but I wonder if we couldn't connect that sense of the big picture within how it affects people's lives um, and our sense of values rising ever further to the surface in particular. Yeah, I think it's such an interesting sort of question. But before we, perhaps before we could go into that, I'd just like to share the sort of overriding, overriding image that, that's in my mind. And I don't know if you saw it on television, um, which was um, of the lady that was standing in front of the, uh, the Russian person you know, telling him to go away. You know, we don't want you. I, I, it was a bit like the young man standing in front of the tack at Tiananmen Square. You know, it's that kind of, you know, you talk about resilience and courage and you talk about, you know, and I, I don't think I'll ever forget that image of her. And, and also the, I think what struck me was the kind of slight embarrassment on behalf of the, the Russian soldier, you know, who was you know, involved in a, you know, perhaps in a, in, in a, in a war that he didn't believe in. Uh, I think this morning there was a, there was um, a situation where a, a German, so on the radio where a German soldier was captured and he, he was captured by the Ukrainians and he was in tears about what the Russians were doing to Ukraine. And they allowed him to make a call to his family. And he was on the radio talking to his family in tears, saying, 
I never wanted this. And he was also saying that he has found himself in a ward that he didn't know he was signing up to. They didn't know, the, you know, the, the army people did not know that they were going to invade, you know, when they, when, you know, when they did the exercises. They didn't know that, that you know, it would come to this. And so, yeah, I mean, you, there's so many things going on. It's so, you know, we can connect this back to values again. So, at so many different levels, isn't it? it it's it's um, it's uh, it's it's. I think it for me, it's kind of, you know, you've where does the power sit? You know, is is the power sitting with you know dictators? in a gilded, you know, presidential palace somewhere, yep, you know, getting getting a huge amount of resource focused as Putin is doing in, in, in Ukraine. Um, does the power sense there, does the power sense a government? Does the power sense with you know with with people? And I think one one of the things that is occurring to me um through um through seeing individuals, through seeing what companies are doing on their own back to to voice their point of view about you know about Russia, it shows the enormous collective power that exists in the world, which is driven by a common principle. And it may be that that is going to become the most effective deterrent for what's happening. I don't know. The, the, those are kind of what I'm beginning to kind of really observe. Don't know what you guys think. Yeah, no, definitely. This kind of collective power is, um, I mean, I don't think everyone's saying that Putin would have had no thought that this might happen, that he just assumed that he was going to be able to, to roll in, take Ukraine, and um, the the collective power within Ukraine, the, the the collective power in the rest of the world, uh, in as you said, Ian, in business, in sport, which really matters to them. You know, it's um, everywhere. People that you don't expect. Elon Musk putting a satellite dish above, so that you know people can actually still have access to social media. How amazing is that? So there's just from the most unexpected sources, there is support and it's, um, yeah, it's just garnering and gathering and building, isn't it? So I think you might be right. And I hope you're right. Phil, that it might be what actually changes the, the course of action, perhaps. But yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I spoke about metaphors and I wonder if there isn't a metaphor here around control that does actually link to the job of a sales leader, which is historically, we have put ever more control into systems, particularly via CRM and our processes. We try and measure more and more. We try and ensure through auditing and KPIs that what we wanted is happening in terms of how we think sales should be happening in our business. My submission is that that world is way less effective than it was because change 
and what is going on in individual sales engagements is much more chaotic than it ever was. And therefore, there is a shift taking place. Yes, control what you can control, but what you can control is less than you could. And how are you going to manage a world where so much of what you need to have happen as a sales leader is starting to leak away to other forms of control or other forms of empowerment? What does sales leadership look like in that world? That's my slightly provocative opening on that. Well, why don't we continue on that that sort of general theme? What what you know what would that mean in terms of the you know the changing nature of sales leadership in a world where the whole notion of control is potentially changing? So what's that going to mean? What's going to be the super sales leader of the future? What sort of, you know, let's let's just play with that idea for a moment and consider what what would they be doing? How would they be approaching people? Um, what's going to be the thing that makes them stand out sales leaders in this new environment that we're having? What do you think? Don't know. Well. It, simplistically, it's control what you can control and have wisdom to know what that is and then find ways of behaving differently for those things you can't control. And what yeah. was, Sorry, Louise. No, I was just thinking about, um, you know, the fact that if we're saying that there's, there is less control, but you have a team, it's fostering that team to work well together to have that collaborative culture that they're all working to the same goal and supporting one another and I think the way that is evidenced back to what we were talking about previously that you know people have knowledge within people have skills within and before everybody kind of worked as you say to the KPIs to the to the processes that were in place and having had opportunity to do things perhaps differently through the whole working from home and, and and learning to be more independent because of that there is that kind of diversion away from doing everything the same way plus as you say just the way the world is now and what customers want now is asking for that kind of bespoke solution from sales people but i think you still have to have um uh, for me, it's it comes back to what we said last time as well around democracy being the big thing and, and engaging your team and engaging and fostering that sense of belonging so that people want to deliver their very best. And I think um, that to me is something that they can control and that helps them find out about how others can support areas they can't control. So it's working more collaboratively and um, leading a team that works that way. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. As you were talking, I was thinking of um, two words, sort of overt and implicit. And I'm just thinking about, you know, if we look at a management style that's based on what we observe from Putin, um, which is coercive, driven by fear, 
even with people within Russia, you know, not allowed to share their point of view, um, in control of the levers, in control of the resources, in control of the targets. There's a sort of battle between someone driven through a leadership perspective using those levers against a country which doesn't have the same firepower, it doesn't have the same resources, who have a really strong belief about uh, democracy, about, about personal freedom. And so what we're going to be witnessing, sadly, is this struggle between two hugely kind of opposing control systems, one driven through, you know, sort of beliefs and values and the other driven through systems and process. And who's going to be the ultimate winner in all, in all of this. So it's, it's really, it's really interesting that the levers for performance we may conclude is going to be a, like Ian, you were saying, is a much less, much less uh, systems orientation, if you like, much more a- around values, purpose, united behind a common belief, and will that drive performance in, to a, an extent that it's going to be much greater than one based on fear you're out of a job if you don't hit your target, sort of thing, which we see all too often. The reality is a sales leader needs both, don't they? They need a control system for themselves and for reporting up through the organization. And they need, let's call it an empowerment system, a motivation system. And my suggestion is the balance is shifting. The balance is that the amount of impact that the control piece has is dropping. And the amount that is intangible, implicit, motivational, emotional, right-hand side of the brain, to go back to the previous one, is increasing. It's not a choice of either or. It's a reshaping of that balance. And why is that? Because the world is being driven by different things to the thing it was driven by two years ago. We're post-pandemic. Louise, as you say, people have got a sense of empowerment more than they ever did. Mm. There's a strong sense of connection that we've seen in the Ukraine crisis across the world. Um, And at the same time, you need to get your business performance going. But to stay with the old balance is a very big risk Mm. because you miss out on the opportunities that only someone very in tune with their customer is going to pick up and you can't measure that it's interesting with the number of the um engagements that we've been having recently we've seen you know the topic of of um purpose becoming more certainly stronger um and it it, it, it you know i'm sensing a, a real shift in 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 in, in that respect um a shift towards you know there, there are things out there in the world that are you know, important that we've got to sign up to, whether it's climate change or whether it's um, integrity and ethical kind of sales approaches. 
Uh, these are things that have always been soft issues in the past, but they're becoming hard issues now. You know, I, I think the soft is being replaced with, with the hard or the, the you know, if, if, if you know what I mean. And um, I guess underpinning all of this, like you said earlier, is at the end of the day, we have to perform, we have to hit targets, is, is to what extent would these softer principles of how you drive a sales organization going to drive better performance than the hard principles? Is it the stick? You know, is that going to be the lever that you push to drive sales performance? Or mm -hmm. are people just going to walk away from organizations who bully them, you know, into, in, you know, in, in, into achieving targets? Well, I think you've seen that, you know, linked to obviously there's a there's a lot that underpins the great resignation, but I do think that's that's yeah. one of them. Yeah. They're not they don't want to work in that kind of environment environment yeah. before and they've realized they can do other things, yeah. you know, there's a, a other priorities for them. So why tolerate working in that kind of environment? Yeah. But but I think too, you know, the rise, the rise in coaching and an under appreciation of, of coaching in, in all organizations and, and particularly you know in, in sales supports the fact that people are starting to see that you can get good results through a softer approach through a more supportive and nurturing approach than necessarily with a stick so that that has come in too I think to and I would say that the kind of issues that you talked about that you're calling the softer issues I, I think there's now it's just now an expectation. I, I don't think that necessarily people want to know that something's being done in every organization about how to conserve energy, how to, to be greener. It's, it's what are you doing? It's not, are we doing anything? The question is, what are we doing and how much are we doing and what else can we do? So that purpose is, is building momentum all the time. There's an expectation now from people that we will, everyone will do something. Yeah, I, I would suggest the challenge is can organization senior leadership hear it fast enough in order to respond? You know, one of our values has around managing ambiguity, agility, et cetera. The voices from the customers we speak to, the voices from the front line, from sales managers are very clear. Things have shifted. And yet there's a responsibility typically to shareholders to deliver results. And that seems to be resulting in a number of cases in doubling down on the old system, measuring more than we used to, ensuring compliance is higher than we used to, which is an understandable response because that's the system that used to work. And yet what we see is that has consequences which you've outlined there, Louise, mm. the great resignation, people not giving their best. So what I would suggest again is part of the challenge here is how can senior sales leaders and any form of sales leader hear what's actually going on fast enough to impact their performance? Never mind our philosophy on this call. How can they hear it fast enough and then respond in a sufficiently agile way? I think so much of, of that question is sort of around, you know, what we call autobiographical listening. And, you know, a lot of, lot of people in fairly sales, sales, you know, sales leadership roles have, have been in a system 
which is which is much more KPI, you know, forcing people, you know, to, if you like, for behavior, having a very ambivalent attitude to whether salespeople leave or stay in a company, um, sort of based on, you know, using that fear mechanism to drive performance. So it's not until there's a major change at, at that level that you're going to see significant changes happening um, across, you know, across whole sectors. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Um, it's a, it's a really it's a really difficult one. Um, you know, it probably starts at the very very top of an organisation with the principles that organisations want to be seen to be living by in in driving shareholder value. Um, yeah. And well, look at look at what we've seen. We've seen BP, Shell, Exxon, Apple, H and M, really huge global companies. Some of them taking divestment decisions in the space of a few days of major assets, some stopping dramatically how they do business. What an incredible metaphor that is for how values impact business performance. Because yeah. in BP's case, apparently it will be something like 20% of the bottom line impacted yeah. by their decision on Rosneft. And also countries, because you've got Germany who's so reliant on Nord Stream, you know, gas actually saying you know no swift payments so therefore you know you know they're they're prepared to stand by you know a certain principle that's a massive you know that's a massive confirmation that you know th there is a line you know there's a line that that we need to draw it's based around principles that we hold to be strong and that's how we're going to live that's how we're going to work that's how we're going to set policy so I wonder whether what, what we're seeing right now is, is going to trigger a big shift in a far more principled, like you were saying earlier on, Ian, a much more principled, you know, sort of values-driven approach to how we want to do business, how we want to sell, how we want to manage, which... Um, I find quite ironic in a way, because we've been talking, as you know, about this topic for so long, you know, for so many years. But maybe now, maybe now we've got to a point in time where we are, like you were saying earlier, Ian, in a new values driven era and and the the, the Ukraine issue has simply accelerated that topic in the same way that the pandemic has driven digitalization and speeded that up so we have these two enormous shocks to global systems which are having a profound change on everything we do that's an interesting thought isn't it it is but there will be more I, you know, that's the whole thing, isn't it? These these big shocks are just going to keep coming, I think. And and it's it is being prepared as agile as you can be and as resilient as you can be to to be ready for them. But I think um I mean I hope, Phil, you're right about this, Annie, and you know, this values-driven era is it is, it's everything we've been talking about for a while, but um it would be great to see that bed in that isn't just a blip that this continues that 
um, the, the wicked problems, the bigger problems are now something that people are becoming more aware of and understanding that whilst there's a need to deliver value to the shareholders, they need to respond to the values of the shareholders and their own corporate values, I think. Um, but I think these, these issues are just going to keep coming Phil, in a different form, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. yeah for, uh, Louise, you mentioned wicked problems. Mm. I've now come across a term super wicked problem. Super wicked. Okay. And a super wicked problem is a wicked problem, a very difficult problem in a complex system caused by the individual leader. So in order to solve that problem, the leader has to solve them, their own issues first. So those responsible who yeah. are responsible for an incredibly difficult thing are the root cause of it and the solution. And I wonder if what we're seeing isn't a world where change, as we've all said, is so enmeshed in what we're doing, chaotic change. Yeah. You know, Ukraine shows us what can happen in seven days. Chaotic and unpredictable change is actually the norm for business. So it's businesses change. And then those who have grown up in a world where we could separate kind of business as usual and do some change projects. OK, and you can do those, work out what was going on, incorporate them. That world has gone. Business is now change. So the challenge then to a, a, any sales leader is, do you get it? Do you get what's happened? Never mind what's going to happen. Do you get what's happened? And how can you have your own system that acknowledges that and still achieves performance with some things you can measure? How are you going to do that? And that's a very evolving topic, but it has a much greater emphasis, as we've said, on people and also you need systems IT process and who's creating the mental space for themselves or members of their team to discover what that is. Because if you don't, you're brilliantly locked into a system that used to work. Yeah, and I was gonna pick uh, mention space, Phil, when you were saying, how does the leader, mm. um, you know, respond to this and, 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 and understand what's coming. And I think you have to, as a sales leader, make that mental space in that you just mentioned. You have to do it for yourself and for your team. And the challenge is, of course, that because it's all faster paced, you just do and you don't. And we've talked about this so often, but there is something in, in them that has to make the time to stand back and, and look forward. What is coming and, and actually talk to everybody about what they're also seeing so that you may have one lens, but the team is going to have multiple lenses that you can pull that together and try and appreciate what it, what is coming through. Um, but yeah, it's it's. Um, I think in you're you're right. It's it's um, that they need to control, but they also need to support and help people achieve that potential. And I think that's the softer way. And I think also it's really interesting what you said about we've seen change be managed through change projects, and now change is just part of our world. And um, but there are people now in the workplace who've only known that that the latter. They've only known that change be constant. And so that's why I think there is much more around the purpose and the values and the quality of life, because 
they've lived through that chaos, only lived through that chaos, and um, and have only seen it get get larger, really, you know, more chaotic. So I think there's yeah, there's just different values that are coming through because of what they've lived through compared to where we started with a change project, you know, that had a start and an end, um, and this doesn't. Yeah, I just. Just one, you know, you're talking about, you know, perhaps the younger generation who have uh, have only seen this sort of mm. this change and, and sort of coming back to mental health because, you know, I think that what we haven't yet seen quite is is you know to to for how long can people sustain balance in a world which is changing so much? Um, you know, you move from the pandemic to a potential European war you know there's so much going on and they must be questioning what hope is there out there that that that, that, that there will be some semblance of in inverted commas normality um, or if it's not you know this whole area we talked about at the beginning resilience is going to become so important but um, you know I suspect that there's a lot of new findings that will emerge from the era that we've been in that around anxiety mm. and fragility, which is going to undermine a person's ability to be resilient through change. So maybe one of the other things from a leadership point of view is it's going to raise that agenda even further than it's been raised already that, that we may be seeing a sort of tsunami of of um, data coming from the medical side of things that suggests that there's been quite a lot of psychological damage inflicted by the degree of change people have had to have. Yeah, well, Phil, that's a fascinating topic you raise because what I can see is there is a great, we've spoken about the integration of home and work life, which was obviously massively accelerated by COVID. And what that means when you're under huge stress about what's going on in the world, my personal life, is the invasion of the personal space and your personal mindset is now having a greater and greater effect on you at work. And ignoring it, treating it as something that doesn't fit with a KPI is a massive risk that we've seen can lead to great resignation, etc. Now, is a sales manager a counsellor? No. Are good sales managers in some way supporting their people through things that aren't strictly work-related? Completely. And finding that new balance, that's a new reality. Whether you like it or not, you ignore it. People will leave, they'll burn out, they won't hit target, etc. So this new balance is here today. I was just thinking back to, um, we, we had a team meeting in on Monday and we were reminding the, the team about um, well-being topics that we'd covered. And a lot of it was around giving permission to people mm -hmm. to, to take time out. And I think that's something that needs to be in that sales leader's um, toolkit, you know, just that compassion and, and just understanding that they need permission to work less when there's uh, a family event, you know, work less when when they are feeling stressed, work less when they notice. And it's about mm. 
it's about the noticing and the giving permission, isn't it? It's so important that people perhaps didn't do in the past, but actually looking at your team and noticing and then giving them permission for whatever it is they need to do. That's interesting. I realise we're getting on to the hour, which is uh, when I need to finish. But I think we probably had a really good conversation, actually. <laughs> Hasn't it? I, th I think we're, get we're getting to a point of view. I think we are, yeah. A really important shared point of view here, which is unique because we're more reflective than most other organisations. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm sure this will continue and shape. It's been great. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. So what's your selling approach like? Are you selling in a way that your customers want to be sold to? From our research, only 10% of salespeople sell in a way that customers want. But what do customers want when they're being sold to? It's no secret that here at Consalia, we've embedded the sales values and mindsets that customers want to see in salespeople into everything we do from our sales business school through to our sales transformation offering. So how do you know whether or not you've got them? We have a very simple mindset survey to see if you possess these key values. It's really straightforward to use, will only take a few minutes to complete, and you'll be sent your results straight after. You may be just a bit surprised at the results yourself. Check out the show notes at the end of this podcast episode what you do with the results next is your choice. We're happy to dive deeper into these results to discuss what they mean, or even explore the idea of finding out if your customers see these key values in your approach.